Brandon. Coop, what up, man? How the hell are you? Pretty good, sitting in my truck in my driveway, doing a podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> waiting uh, for somebody to come beat on the window, or, or my <laughs> wife to like open up the door, like, what are you freaking, do? can you come inside and do the dishes or something? <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Brandon, you have the most creative ways to waste time. Seriously, man. <laughs> I mean, it used to be you go golf, but now, no. Do not come. Do not. If if any of y'all come and beat on my truck window while I'm doing a podcast. But you got to find a place that you have good reception. Yeah, and the, and that you can be undisturbed, and you know it's tough with three kids. I mean, it's 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 a rare moment when you're not disturbed, you know. So you got to like you got to do stuff like that. Just go out in the driveway. Well, I have zero, and uh, the last time we recorded, I was also in a car. In fact, I think half the times we recorded, I've sit, been sitting in car a car. Oh yeah, I've I've never done this. I think I did one episode half half of the episode in my living room, but the rest of the time I've been in the truck. It works. I think it works, you know, so you're in, you're in Camden County. Yeah, right I'm in St. Mary's. Beautiful downtown St. Mary's. It's awesome. Oh, it's a hot I'm... day too, man. We did, um, I took the boys up to the farm today and we, I got a bunch of um, hogs about to farrow. And um, so I wanted, we, we, we were trying to get them uh, a little bit higher. I have a hill and I wanted them up on the hill because it, it's kind of been rainy, you know. Yes. I really wanted them up, you know, under some trees and, and out of any wet areas. And uh, so we did that. And then we did a little bush hogging. And um, tonight we're going out. My mom and uh, my stepdad are visiting St. Simon's. And we're going to go up to one of my accounts and eat, which is awesome. Because I rarely go out, you know. and um, But we're going to go meet them at, at the Georgia Grill tonight and eat. I'm super excited about that. Shout out Georgia Grill. Yeah, shout out Georgia Grill. Nice. Yeah, they would they would be good. Maybe we, we'll probably try to get those guys on here at some point. Yeah, I'd like to. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I just uh, touch on the rain thing because it's important. Uh, my dad, he's lost. I think he lost three cows last week. But it's the rain is really an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Going right. Uh, I've seen some. I'm in Sarasota County, Florida, and it's hot and humid down here. Oh, so nice. Uh, but it's so nice. Yeah, I, I would not outside of the red tide. Um, which is actually kind of added a sense of or lent a sense of serenity to the beach. I mean, it's really peaceful out there uh-huh. and, and really beautiful, but also there's nothing. I mean, maybe last yesterday there's one pelican out in the water, but I've seen a couple dead fish, seen a couple. That's uh, still going on right now. It just broke up last week. There were about 70, 80 mile per hour winds before Christmas and this big storm that came through. And they, that really, they feel like now it's, it's breaking up and it's, um, it's the beaches, at least it doesn't stink anymore, but there's still dead stuff. Um, and it's just not, there's just no real activity out there. It's um, unbelievable. Yeah, that was, yeah. That's just, that's unbelievable. I mean, can you get in the water? Are you allowed to get in the water? I don't know. I walked in it. So I, I, mean, I guess, yeah, I don't see anybody swimming out there. It's cold. So yeah, it is to cold swim to anyway. swim. It, it's crazy how like stuff like that, it, it's like, it slaps the, um, you know, there's always varying interest, like politically, as far as um, industry goes. But it, it, you hate that that happened like that. But it's, you know, you kind of, kind of, on some level, it's sort of 
it's not sad. It's not, it's not satisfying when that happens. It's not the right word, but it's when stuff like that happens and it makes an industry like look at itself because it puts such a microscope on it, you know, it's put such a like spotlight on it. Um, cause I, I, I don't, I'm not really versed in it. You probably are. You're talking about agriculture in Florida? Yeah, just well, just like the degradation of the environment, just what's yeah. been going on in Florida since they drained the Everglades. Yeah, you know, and and that system of like trying to take what's the way that things are supposed to be and trying to change them for people and change them for industry and change it so that because it's not just industry. I mean, you got to face it. This Florida is, fl- fl- you know. Florida has people living in places where people should not be living. Absolutely. And it's not stopping. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I've always thought it's wild because when we go to visit, my mom lives in Orlando and you you cross the St. John's River going into Orlando. And and then to think that that the St. John's actually flows north from from there, you know, from just south of Orlando, I guess. And it flows north and empties out in Jacksonville. Mm hmm. That's crazy to, for a kid. Like, I, I mean, I, I was unaware of northern flowing rivers. And it's wild. So it's like, is the elevation in Orlando higher than Jacksonville, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have a central ridge that runs down the state. So I, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't spend much time on that side or have mm-hmm. not much time. Like, not much in the south of Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super, I, it's a super pretty state, man. It, uh, it, it's it's, it's such an old, old Florida is such a cool story. The cows, the, the yeah. wild cows and the, the cowboys and old Florida, the crackers and the homesteads. And they fed the Confederate army, you know, on feral cows from Florida that they, they would drive, you know, up. And I mean, it's fascinating stuff. It's a, it is uh, the more and more I used to come down here and think this place is so crazy and I can't deal with it because especially South Florida, you know, there's just, you, you, I like, you, you know, you take Florida, you take America and you like shake it up and then like all the sediment falls into the state. It's like a snow globe, you know, and it's like, in the kind of way it kind of distills like all America, right? We've got Ohio Yankees and we've, and even some Canadians and New Yorkers and um, Mennonites and Amish. And, you know, there's a bar just down the way that's called the Hoosier bar, and then you've got rednecks and like some people, some true Floridians, like way in, like people who grew up in dirt floors, but also mm-hmm. people who have been Floridian for 50 years. And they're really just, it's the new kind of coastal Florida. That's right. Um, and I used to, and you know, I used to be feel so dangerous to just drive here because of all the elderly people just deciding to run across <laughs> six lanes of traffic. <laughs> like driving in Reedsville. Yeah. Oh man. But, but, and then I started realizing, you know what, I, I kind of, it's, 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 it really is like traveling to another country within the United States and, and you just kind of accept this, the difference of it. But then, then I just became overwhelmed how pretty it is. Mm-hmm. I, I went out to the state park yesterday and, um, you know, even without like the, the cows, the, that kind of native flatwoods prairie. It's beautiful. It's, oh, it's just so gorgeous. You know, with the, the palms and pine and it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. And it's criminal how Florida gets shat on. Yeah. And like, and I, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Like on Twitter, you know, you can follow at Florida man. Oh Florida, yeah, I know. Florida yeah. man. And, and it's talk, you know, the capers of the antics of, you know, Floridians breaking the law. And I mean, but man, Florida is like, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you get some jean shorts, you know, oh, and, oh, and, 
yeah. there's some sleaze bags in Florida. I mean, let, like, <laughs> let's be honest. There's some sleaze bags in Georgia. And that's true. That's true. But you know, also know yeah. that if, you're, if, if Cops is on, if it's a Florida episode, like you, it's going to be you a good know. episode. Yeah, for sure, a hundred percent. And it's going to be like Hillsborough <laughs> County, and it's going to yeah. like it's going to be off the chain. So tune in. It's great. I'm I'm with you, but it is it. If old, I read a book uh, a while back when I first started farming my mom gave to me called a land remembered and and it's about i think the family went on to be like citrus barons but it was about how they started and they were like you know literally carving uh a front you know a life in a frontier and 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 the the crazy thing about it is it's not like ancient history no you're talking like you know like uh civil war era and reconstruction you know, and that's yeah. when they and they started putting orange trees in and, and they would corral wild cows and drive them to the coast. And that was so awesome. Now, to my fear, I think the Florida is so crazy because it's so new. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Like oh, yeah. I, the newness. So there's the modifications. no. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like a blank. Like, you know, you talk about culture. It's like ever all the culture. There's no kind of underwriting. No. thing that everyone has kind of had to adapt to it's like everyone just they just threw it all in the blender and here mm-hmm. we are and really it's just kind of you know it's just a lot of development houses and i guess mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what people do who've moved down here but the right now the issue definitely is water there's too much water and i don't know what they're going to do with the water i worry about folks septic and the and like the the clean water and and obviously there's issues with runoff right now into the the gulf that's killing all of the marine life and like mm-hmm. you said um so something's going to have to be done and, and you hate to get, to get to a point where like, Oh crap. Like, you know, this threatens the economy of Florida and, and potentially like, you know, have far reaching effects on the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, I'm glad that's part of the conversation. It's part of, it's been part of the political conversation here and during the last election. Yeah. Until well, that happens, it's that's un- unfortunately in America today, that's the only time that you will get people to stop and pay attention to it. It's when it gets yeah. catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's been a weird bleakness about like the holidays just because of that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like wow, there's, it's all dead and so beautiful. But and then we start, you know, have a conversation and start talking. It's like, oh wow, this is getting real negative fast. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I went in yesterday. My aunt and uncle and my cousins were outside, and I went in and said hello to him. And I came in and ate some crackers, and I came back out, and my uncle was talking about. I thought he was talking about how his mom met a man after his father passed away. And then I realized like 10 minutes into it that he was talking about whether or not God exists or whether or not he believes God exists. And I was like, well, how did y'all get into this conversation? That someone nice. just like, you know, Hey, do you think, God, what do you think about God? Um, and it was actually an interesting conversation. I never heard of my uncle talked about this dream. He had like, he kind of grew up agnostic because his father was Greek Orthodox, but an apostate and his mother was Mormon, which kind of made him nothing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, but he also grew up in the West and it's hard to be around, you know, such, such like monumental picturesque, like vistas and not, um, and not feel moved. And then he talked about this dream in which his, the, this man who his mom really loved and him, he had connected with visited him. And, um, he, uh, he said, you know, he swears like he, you know, he would not say he was religious, but he, he felt like this was a spiritual moment when this man who was an atheist, the dream was my uncle was in a room. He was stacking boxes, and there was a door in the room, and suddenly he was pushed to the door. 
And when the door opened and that man who had just passed away was on the other side of the door and he was, like I said, he was an atheist and um, the man reached out and he touched, like, I guess grabbed my uncle's hand and my uncle said he was just flushed with this incredible like radiance and happiness. And he awoke immediately and it, it's, he was so happy. It woke him up. Um, wow. And I don't, you know, and, and we didn't, Kind of probably give him the space to go into all the details, but he just he knew that that was some communication. What he felt is to not be an atheist, you know, it's mm-hmm. to believe in something higher. Mm-hmm. Um, Heck yeah, man, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. That's good. Okay, so back 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 to where we were, y'all. This is, <laughs> if, you, if you listen to part one, this is part two, and, and I we're think, in the we're in the middle of Joe Dirt. Yeah, Joe Darte <laughs> is on the phone. Um, seriously so so right, brandon and i want to just bring this up too because it's kind of a segue um i ended up i got the burt reynolds marathon schedule mixed up that actually mm-hmm. it went deliverance longest yard then hooper mm-hmm. oh i saw i saw Smokey and the bandit was on i actually took some pictures i was hoping we could post on instagram yeah man and we can and there's there's never a bad time to post a burt reynolds pic um cowboys love fat calves <laughs> hey uh yeah. Uh, um, all right. So, but I, let me ask you this, man, because I never do this, and we're gonna this, we're gonna come up to this as part of your story. Is that uh, I watched the end of Longest Yard and mm-hmm. oh, uh, filmed in Reedsville. Filmed in Reedsville, man. It says thanks to the folks in Reedsville. So yeah, filmed at the state prison. Yeah, that's right. And everybody in Reedsville has a story of the prison because everybody has had a relative work there. Okay. So, um, but yeah, it, it got brought up. It. Uh, we we used to go to church with the guy that was a he was a warden for a long time, super friendly guy. Told incredible jokes, and he also does the um, the play by play on the Tattnall County Football Radio Network, almost <laughs> almost inaudible, like, a, like one of those accents where you're just like you have no idea what he's talking about, but you know you can tell by his tone if it's good or bad <laughs> yeah yeah such, such a nice guy but yeah he was talking about that i that's a that isn't that cool i mean that that was filmed in in reachville well i mean you know if you go through i don't know about hooper but you've got uh all three of those movies deliverance and um and smoking the bandit all are from georgia that's right yeah yeah and that i mean that, that's like the coolest thing yeah i had an i had an uncle elmer that um was a guard at the prison and you know i didn't know him he he i met him as a kid but he was already sort of in a almost a vegetative state like he was being spoon-fed at a family reunion at the state park one year okay. i was a real young kid but my uncle uh who who grew up in reedsville and he, when he when he took the greyhound out of town going away to uga for for like when he he was a valedictorian of his high school class and he left and he's a lawyer now, but when he went to UGA, he took a Greyhound out of town and he's at the bus station and it's him and a guy that got released from the prison. Right. And they both were waiting and the guys, you know, they start talking or whatever and, you know, comes up. He's, you know, obviously my uncle said it's pretty obvious he's getting released from prison because I don't know who he is. So it's obvious he just got released and, and they start talking and he's like, yeah, you know what? And there was this real son of a bitch guard in there. <laughs> and and he says his name and my uncle's like uh-huh. <laughs> matter of fact i'm related to him you know um but i mean it'd be a tough place to work man. yeah 
So is this know. is this your uncle that you went to the B class with? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Cool. Same guy, same guy. All right. So where we left off, I was. Uh, I, I know we kind of got off into a subject about the USDA inspector there for a while. Yeah. Right. And um, but you're still you have not made the move to Reedsville. Yeah, and I kind of went back over some of those dates in my mind. So I think you know, and I was, I was kind of foggy back then. So when I really started to think about it, we went to the B class and started doing the garden and I had bees and we did the garden and stuff and I had quail and chickens and that really went on for a couple years of like, um, just doing it on like a home level. And then when I eventually did get sober for the last time, hopefully, um, that would have been 2011 and it would have been like the summer of 2011. And I had been fooling with all this stuff for years up to that point. And then that was when my sponsor said that it was such a great idea. I was going to be a millionaire. That's when I really went at it full bore or tried to anyways. So that would, that would be when I started getting stuff in restaurants and trying to do that and, and became versed in like how you walk into a kitchen and like find the person that you need to talk to and give them the pitch about your product and whatever. Um, and then that went on for a year and then we, we actually moved to Reedsville that next summer of like 2012. Right. If I have the dates right. Why did y'all move to Reedsville? Well, I, because, I mean, we lived in a neighborhood and it, I mean, it, it started to feel like you had a little momentum because, um, the owner of inland seafood had eaten my chicken at, at the one eared stag in Atlanta. And, um, and he had called me and, and he, he was like, this is, you know, Joel Knox, inland, I own inland seafood. And Hey, look, I just ate this chicken at this restaurant. It's the best chicken I've ever had. And and we want to carry it. And it took me like a, like a week to call him back because I kept thinking like, what is he? I mean, I, I wouldn't even know how to go about doing that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a mistake. So, and and inland seafood is, they're a big uh, food distributor based out of Atlanta. And, um, I didn't, it wasn't that I, thought he was like nonsense yeah it wasn't that i thought that he didn't make any sense wanting to carry it It was just that i didn't feel like i was i was up to that you know like how would i even go about doing that supplying that kind of chicken and then but eventually i called him back and he was like well can you come in and meet with us and i went in and i had on like i didn't realize inland was as big as they are and so i showed up and i'm wearing like khaki cut off pants you know shorts and like flip-flops like a t-shirt <laughs> you know? and i like pulled up and i was like because i remember working at mellow mushroom back in the day in stone mountain and being familiar with inland because they're based out of tucker and you would see their trucks around yeah and they would service some of the little restaurants in the strip mall where the mellow mushroom was in stone mountain so i knew like inland but i didn't know that they were that big and they you know pulled up and it was like oh man they're I'm not dressed for this at all. Right. This is a big like corporate place. And so, but I was like, screw it. I really felt like I didn't have much to lose because I didn't, I didn't feel like they were going to want to do it anyways. And, and I went in and they, I guess they liked that. Um, whatever I said, they liked it. And they, they, he, Joel really believed in the chicken. He really did. He really was a connoisseur of chicken. And he's one of those people I've crossed paths with people like him that, there are people out there that are totally indifferent to chicken, you know, and, but there are some rare people that really 
appreciate a good chicken and he's one of them and so that's how that happened um and so anyways they wanted to carry the chicken and so it just so how we moved to Reedsville was like I was coming up on a year being sober and Nadia my wife's kind of believe I think she was starting to like see that this maybe wasn't as crazy as it seemed in the beginning like this isn't the guy going to the farmer's market and making 30 bucks and crying on the way home because nobody wanted to buy like my poblano peppers or whatever (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know and uh and I wasn't pestering about tilling up the entire backyard anymore and like oh I, I mean I was pretty serious about it as much as I could be and, uh, and that, that was like a real momentum shot, you know, cause that doesn't happen to people, you know, like right. you don't live in a neighborhood with an HOA, be raising these chickens and like this big food, uh, distributor calls you and wants to carry your product. I, I kept thinking Phil's right. You know, well, I'm going to be freaking rich one day. And, um, Phil being my sponsor, the guy that didn't, didn't laugh at me, you know, they sort of encouraged me in, in early recovery to, uh, to sort of go for what I go follow my dream, you know, why not give it a shot. And, um, and so it was like, okay, well, where can you get property? Cause you can't just go buy property and have any money to do that. But it was like, okay, how can you rent property? And then you start looking around Metro Atlanta, even Athens. And it was, I could, it's hard to find acreage to rent that you're going to be able to like really tweak and modify and, change you know or at least it was in my experience and um yeah yeah and, and cost wise and, and I mean, affordable you're, you know it has yeah. to be that was sort of the thing of like um i i kind of had a mindset of like you know i want this to work like regardless i still have that mindset of like i'm willing to do anything to make this work and i realized that i realized real quick that I probably wasn't going to be able to do this and live in Metro Atlanta just from a cost standpoint, even though there's all kinds of vacant land that used to be farms that's just sitting there, you know, waiting to turn into a neighborhood or whatever. It's not like people yeah. are going to rent it or, or it'd be way too expensive. And so it was on one of my trips down to deliver Savannah that I started thinking I never lived in Reedsville growing up. I would spend summers down there, but I always wanted to live in Reedsville. And I always wanted to live like in a house, like on the Ohupi River and just live in Reedsville. Like, you know, I mean, I'm an easy to please guy. I mean, that was like my life goal was to either live at the coast or live in Reedsville. So um, I started thinking, I wonder if we could find a place to rent down there. And I started looking around and I found I found a couple opportunities that you could rent some land but the living situation they were really dilapidated trailers one of them was on the river and in hindsight it would have been sweet because it was actually set up with uh irrigation to have large gardens it had some barns on it and it was right on the ohupi river right at um what they call nails dam over there which is like a great paddle from there you can go all the way down to where the Ohupi hits the Altima Hall and it's super pretty, but the trailer was pretty crappy and my wife wasn't feeling that because we were moving out of a house, not a great house, but like, you know, just a middle American house. And, yeah. and she wasn't feeling like moving into a trailer, which like who can blame her for that? But then there was this other one. So, okay. So let me back up. So I called Janice Ray, who's an author and she is Janice Ray is, if you've never read her, she has some fantastic books she is like an ecological 
like warrior for South Georgia. And she, yeah. um, she lives in Reedsville. She's from Baxley, but she lives in Reedsville. She has a little farm there. And I called her, I've never met her. I called her, I called her. I said, can I speak to Janice? And she was, <laughs> yeah. she was quick to say Janice. Uh, and I said, <laughs> I think so. And, you know, <laughs> and I told her what I was trying to do and she got super excited about it and somehow hooked me up like on Facebook or something with the people that we ended up renting from. So then a couple of days later, the phone rang, it's this guy and he's like, Hey, uh, I heard you, I heard you're looking to rent 30 acres. And I was like, I am, you know? And so that's kind of, and then we went and looked at that and that was a trailer. It was a single wide, but it wasn't a, it was, it was, it wasn't the best single wide, but it was, it was doable. And I, but I was so excited because the piece of property was really picturesque and it was right down the street from the tenant house that my grandmother was actually born in. Um, and it was around these farms that I, I knew that I had like four, you know, like old family members worked and on some of this property around there. And uh, so we went and looked at it and I guess my wife just see, sensing my excitement agreed to go along with it. And so we rented the single wide trailer on 30 acres for, for six fifty a month. And I thought, wow. Well, I thought the trailer in the property. Yeah. But here's the thing, man. I thought at the time, see, I'm coming from Atlanta. So I'm thinking six fifty a month. This is great. But I got to say, if you're going to rent a trailer like that in Reedsville, you shouldn't be paying much to rent the property. Like, yeah, not much. 25 bucks an acre or something like that. Yeah, right. And then your rent on the trailer shouldn't have been more than 400. Like, I realized yeah, this yeah. after we got down there and started poking around. But I was a total, I was a total suburban guy. I mean, I, I, we moved down there and I didn't, and we moved all of my stuff. So, like, I wrangled my brother to help me load up these chickens and they were in various ages and grow outs, you know, cause I didn't want to miss a beat as far as production. And so we moved tons of birds down there. Um, we had gotten a Pyrenees. So we moved him. We moved my, our other, um, dog that we had. Um, we, we moved all of our crap. I mean, we just put all of our stuff into this trailer and you could not move cause it was like all the stuff out of a house. <laughs> And the trailer was so small, you know, my little tin can. And like, I mean, I went down there and I, like my wife wasn't even there yet. And I was, I didn't miss a beat. Like I was delivering that week. I killed chickens that week. Um, and we started off on that adventure, you know, inland was like, okay, we want to carry, you know, 600 birds every two weeks or whatever. And it really was like, it felt like we had some momentum. It was an exciting time. You know what I mean? Right. All right, time out real quick. Okay. So how did you get Janice's number? I just looked her up on the internet. I just okay. I called her farm. Cool. All right. Uh, her farm is called Red Earth, Red Earth Farm. And she was super friendly. I ended up becoming friends with her. She's real involved with like the Tattnall County archives and the preservation of old stuff around Tattnall, Appling, Long County. And she's just a dynamite person. Just a yeah. fantastic person. College of a Cracker Childhood is a yeah her, the the big book that got her started. Yeah, that Nick, I read that in college, um, and then I've subsequently read uh, Drifting into Darien is a very good one, and then she has that seed, um, the Seed Underground or whatever it's called, and that yeah. one's cool too. She's great, man. Janice is awesome. I miss them a lot. But that's, that's right. so, so that's that's what happened, man. 
Yeah. And, all right. So, and with just, I think to, this is interesting, the Nadia part. So how do you, you know, how you convince your partner to move? I don't know where she's from originally, but to move to rural Georgia yeah. from a house to a trailer. Yeah. You know, how, how does her transition go? And she, I mean, I guess she's also like, she loves you, dude. She just loves you to death. Well, she does, but she's a realist. Like she's a, she's a real woman. Like you, you, people like, you know, that word feminist gets battered around, but she's a real, like, independent. She is a very caring person and a very giving person, but she is also exceptionally, like, strong woman and confident in who she is and stuff. And, um, you know, so so she doesn't, like, she doesn't walk around picking up after me or, like, kissing my ass. She's, like, she'll be my biggest critic for sure. Uh, but also biggest cheerleader, you know, but so, mm-hmm. but she grew up in Augusta, but her dad was a pastor. So they, they did move around some, um, they lived in Selma, Alabama. They lived somewhere in Mississippi and then they, she, her formative years were in Augusta. And then I think that in hindsight, she was so excited that the, the drinking had been so traumatic, I think for everybody. And we had a young, we had two young kids, you know, and it was like, I think she was probably just excited that I had found some something between getting into actual recovery of like um, from alcoholism, you know, like an actual like program of recovery and um, and then finding some sort of work that I wasn't just either miserable or totally resentful at and that I liked, you know, and I was passionate about. And so I think she just went with it and um well, the interesting thing about it was that, and this is sort of jumping ahead, but she is a, a really spiritual person, right? And she actually is a, is a music, she's an artist, she's a musician, she's, she should be on Broadway. Her, she should be a millionaire. Her voice is a million-dollar voice. And when we moved down there, we had not been going to church or anything like that. And we actually started going to church when my grandmother went to church, and the Methodist church there in town. Right. And, um, somehow Nadia got into the choir and then they heard her sing and then the choir director quit. And then they just came to Nadia and was like, uh, we would like to hire you to lead the choir. And she was like, well, I've never done this before. I've never done that before. You know, I know music, but I'm not. And she started doing it, man. And they, you know, gave her a job and dude, she owns that town. Like (laughs) she's like a celebrity, like, for her voice she she knows everybody in Reedsville because she's you know and so the weird thing was is that it was like I felt like initially and almost the whole time we lived there that we moved there for me you know and like my farm but what I've come to realize is I I really think we moved there for her Hmm. I think that we were put there for her Mm -hmm. we were put there for her and then for my grandmother who we ended out um, taking care of as she got into her nineties and we ended out really, I mean, you know, taking care of her as in like, like a a baby, you know, like doing everything. And, um, my grandmother, you know, was really ornery person, but we did get to like, so, you know, took, take care of her. She got to meet her great grandkids, spend a ton of time with my kids and call them all smart asses and try to whip them with the fly swatter and, all that fun stuff, you know, man, the fly swatter, she would that's, bust that's out that the, fly swatter and chase him around. man. Just that's like, my dad. He would chase us with a fly swatter. Oh, she would call him. They would come up to me like, daddy, daddy made us cussing at us again, you know? And it was like, uh, but she was, here's a trip, man. And it was weird how stuff like that happens. Like 
you think you're supposed to be doing something because of you. And then you come to find out it really, it, it was a means for you to do what you were doing for sure. A hundred percent. But it really, I think the bigger picture was that we were placed there for my wife and my grandmother. And there's a great, you have a great video you put on your Instagram page of uh, account of uh, your like two year old daughter and your nine year old grandmother fighting. Yeah. Each other yeah. Yeah. Paper. Slap fighting. Yeah. Slap boxing. Yeah. And your grandmother's not, gonna surrender no, oh no she would get mad i mean and my daughter's the same way real fiery but my, uh-huh. my uncle tells stories of that side of the family and when he was a kid because they were all grown you know because he was born 20 something years after them but of of like when they all got together that he would be sitting in a tree in, in the front yard in front of the house and one by one they would slam the door uh cuss them all and get in their car and speed off <laughs> <laughs> you know and like but there she's a fiery she was a fiery she was a, a real feminist you know she voted for hillary clinton and uh she does she was a bona fide what you would call a, a bona fide feminist and she was a nurse and she came up hard you know but yeah uh we enjoyed that we it, it, it was a real trip like living with her like we we took care of her in, as as she got older and I never would have expected because my dad had passed away and, you know, it's like you don't expect to care for your grandparents like that, but somebody really needed to. And I was glad that we could, you know, it was cool. So you're moved to Reedsville yeah. and you are now you're, you've got, you're, you're running through inland seafood. That's right. Part of what you're doing here is you're growing, you're just focusing on chickens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just focusing on chickens and trying to get a grasp on doing that amount of chickens. Okay. Okay. So let's go. Th- so how many chickens do you have on your farm or at least do you start off and then at your peak at this farm of 30 acres, how many are you running? Uh, I'd say it, the, the, the crazy thing, the way that that whole thing happened, the, I mean, at the peak, it was probably you're taking maybe 400 ducks every two weeks to the processor and you're taking maybe, maybe 600 chickens, something like that, and maybe 700 um, at, at its peak. But the ironic thing about that was like you get inland and then inland wants you to ramp up. And so you go from doing like, you know 60 a week to trying to do a few hundred and then get used to that and just that amount of um it's so intensive all the work and you're having to like nothing there's no infrastructure there so you're running pipe and you you know now yeah if that opportunity was presented to me right this second i would know totally how to tackle it and go about it and be successful but then you're still trying to learn it yourself you know you can only get so much out of a book you know, it's going to take four seasons of seeing exactly what happened. What's South Georgia like in January? What's it like yeah. in July? What happens in October? Right. You, you right. know, which way does the, no. you know, even as far as like putting your brooders, which way does the wind blow in the wintertime? No, I, it's super. I remember the first time I started growing stuff in South Georgia, like, you I, you know, I got really excited and then I started to realize, Oh, I need to watch the shadows. I need to watch yeah. where the sun goes. Cause I lose half of the garden you know, That's right. during the winter time. Totally lose that garden. You'll have like that, that winter time wind yeah. blowing right into that brooder, you know, or, or something stupid like that, but you can't get that out of a book. And there's not really anybody around as far as having that many chickens that you could really ask. And, and again, you, you're like a suburban guy. No, and nobody. I, just to to frame this a little bit, nobody has in this in Georgia who's doing pasture birds 
has ever had this opportunity, which is to have a distributor basically move birds for you throughout the state. In the southeast, in a way. Probably white oak pastures. Well, okay, white oak pastures. But But that's sort of apples and oranges. It is. At this time, in 2012, there is a collection of half a dozen to 10 to 15 pasture poultry producers in Georgia – and there is a, a put a Daniel Dover is a big one. Mm-hmm. There's Farms. a push to, to figure out how to coalesce this into a real thing and how to, how to put pressure on the Department of Agriculture, maybe to to allow more on farm, on farm processing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even there's some talk about developing a co-op in which um, uh, all these farmers would come together and buy feed yeah. and, and kind of, you know, offset their costs yeah. a little bit, or actually to have some savings. There, there's, there's this, there's talk and there's momentum and there are people who are doing this and there's some, some informal work, actually some formal work by Georgia Organics to kind of have conversations around this. Mm-hmm. And, and, but everybody is, is killing chickens. They're grazing chickens. They're killing them on their own farms. They're taking them to farmer's markets and they're charging a huge, there's a huge price for a, a chicken that, so there's, it's a small, also consumer base who's willing to spend the money on it because you're selling a gourmet product, but yeah. you're, it's, it's chicken. Yeah. Like you're doing chickens in Georgia, which is like, you know, the biggest conventional poultry producing state. And you, you're trying to battle that whole conception that the chicken industry has told you your whole life that chicken should be the cheapest thing that you can buy. You should be able to yeah, eat chicken yeah. five times a day and it should cost you less than five bucks. Yeah, right. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you can you're charging what eight dollars a pound, roughly. No, four like probably around four bucks a pound. Four bucks. So you're a pound. you're talking you're buying yeah. a chicken. I could never understand why people, some people were so. But you would find there was people that would be offended that you would try to charge, say fifteen dollars for a whole chicken, but you really think about it, you know, it's like a whole chicken. That's probably three meals. If you right. if you make the stock, if you use the bird, you break it down. It's a different way to think about chicken, but it's not offensive. But you certainly would run across people that would be offended or, or they would think you're just totally getting over. And you're like, well, I mean, we we live in a single wide on 30 acres and some weeks have zero money in the bank. But other than that, I'm fucking killing it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I don't I mean, you know, we don't talk. People just go to the grocery store and see how much. Chicken yeah, you, but, but you did at that moment in time, there was some legitimate momentum behind pasture raised chicken. I think that, that that you've never seen since, you know, you really it was. And, and I know what it was. It was before Springer Mountain chicken became yeah. huge. All right, so let's let's that's say Springer ahead. Mountain yeah. to another conversation. Yeah. All right, so uh, and and we 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 uh, give folks just a little idea of what your schedule's like. So in terms of your your growing so you're growing out chickens yeah. for, and then every two weeks mm-hmm. you're going to drive mm-hmm. to South Carolina. Yeah, about a three and three then, hour drive or so. Right, and that's where the that's the closest processor because the only other processor is there's there's one outside of Asheville, but it is kind of on the rocks because it's using prison labor to to run it. And then there's one in Kentucky. Is that right? Yeah, and it that was so. Use. That's right. In the foothills in Asheville, I went there a couple times, but that's a that is a, a real haul from South Georgia. You're talking like a seven hour drive, uh, uh, the type of drive that on the way back you're so depressed and tired that you're just questioning not only like what are you doing as far as like for a living but just questioning like everything you know like dangerously long 
Um, so, yeah, you, 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 this, uh, you know, are there, do, podca- do podcasts exist at this time? No, and that's no. the thing, I think, because I painted houses in college for a little while, and that painting was like that for me. I would stand there, and it was too much thinking time and not enough physical, and you'd want to – I think painters have super high suicide rates because of that. They really do. That's a legitimate fact that painters do. And it's, it's, I think it's because it's obviously, you know, it's because of sometimes who's drawn to do that for a living, but the substance abuse, stuff like that, but it's too much time to freaking think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. And, and if you're tired, but anyways, I did that once. Yeah. And I would take, I was, so, so basically my, the way my schedule worked was like at, once a week we would get chicks in. So that means they would come into the post office as day old birds so they get that, and that's sort of the way you kind of, everybody, you'd always, you'll find these, you'll still find these rogue people that think that you can just start hatching out birds and growing them out. But, but what you're trying to grow is a meat chicken and you can't just grow any old chicken and expect it to be a consistently across like 600 birds consistently look the same, grow the same weigh the same when they're dead have a, a usable breast, you know, cause you still yeah. got to operate within the parameters of American society and Americans want yeah, yeah. breast, you know, and consistency is important because your buyer is also not looking for a whole lot. Yeah, of... that's right. And you're not, yeah. you can't just go into restaurants and like one week they get it and it looks like this. And then the next week they get it and it looks like that. And then the third week they get it and it looks like, you know, this different. Yeah. yeah. And so you, I would use hatcheries and I still, when we ramp back up in uh, 2019, I'll still use hatcheries because I feel like it's the best way to do it, at least for now. Um, because those, those genetics are highly prized. It takes a long time to get those genetics dialed in. And frankly, I just don't have the time or the money or the capability to do that um, and hatch them all myself. So I would just get day, day old birds. I would bring them to the farm, put them into their brooders. I had the brooders hooked up. Eventually I got it to where we weren't having to hand water. And in the beginning you were hand watering everything, hand feeding everything. It was exhausting. You couldn't ever leave because it was like, you'd be calling home like, Hey, can you go out and pour some, pour some, you know, water in this brooder, the fourth one from the left or, (laughs) you know, whatever. Eventually I got it to where I figured out how to put thermostats in them. I didn't know anything about electricity when we moved down there, but I figured out how to do thermostats so that I could control the heat. Uh, I figured out the ventilation, how, how we wanted to do that. I figured out automatic watering, um, just tapping it in on our, on our plumbing and uh, doing like low pressure. And, and the cool thing about moving to Reedsville, this was the part that is, you know, kind of weird, but I didn't realize there's two parts of that. I didn't realize when we moved there that Claxton chicken was, that was big Claxton chicken country. And so there was always talk that Claxton chicken did not like me being there. Um, And I had even heard stories of they would send people out to take pictures from the road of like my chick, my chickens running around in, in, in our front pasture. Um, They didn't like it because of the, um, I think because of the potential bird flu stuff, but I think really they just didn't like it. You know, they just didn't like, like this guy, you can't come into our, our county and start growing chickens. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, so there's that, but because you have Claxton chicken is so read Tattnall County produces, I think maybe the most chickens below Macon or, or something like that. But there's a lot of chicken growers down there, chicken houses. 
And so because of that, you have a lot of chicken supply companies down there and you can walk into these stores and they have waters or feeders or this or that. You start poking around. I went into one and the guy was like, he was like, well, now what are you doing again, man? And I was like, man, oh, I got all these chickens. I'm growing them outside, you know? And, and he was like, man, that's crazy, man. And, and I was <laughs> like, well, you know, uh, I guess, but I need what I'm looking for. And he was like, man, I'll tell you what you need to do, man. And he takes me out back and he's got all this old uh, nipple water systems out here. Just late that have been, you know, yeah, he's right. like, man, you can buy this whole stack of, of these long waters for like 25 bucks, you know, or whatever. And he's like, and what you do is you take it and you hook it onto this and then you put this in your pipe and you turn this this way. And next thing you know, you know, he's like, that's how you do it, man. And and so it was like a godsend because I was like, it really helped me like streamline what I was doing. You know what I mean? Well, there's an interesting parallel there with the, with the peanuts and organic peanuts. Everything has been, you know, that, that you have to get some older equipment in order to do things on a smaller scale that's going to be more intensive. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure from the traditional side of things that people feel that are like the conventional side of things, people do feel like they're being retrograde, that, that how in the world, why would you want to go back and do that? Like we, I mean, my grandfather used to, you know, he did everything by hand. We had a small chicken house, or he did, and then he would bring in buckets of feed and water. And then it became automated and then thermostat and everything else. And so I think the initial concept for folks who aren't used to kind of the, the, the value add intensive kind of food product, uh, there's a better thing, gourmet, whatever you mm-hmm. want to say, artisan. Yeah. Like um, small batch. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like, well, what the H E double hockey sticks are you doing? Like this, we figured out this was not a good way to do this. There are better. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Options. Toad though. Yeah. They would look at you as so antiquated. Yeah, you're growing chickens outside. Why? Why would you do that? Right. But but you know it's like well here's the thing man you know people would but then there was always people around that would say things like you know well yeah they would always joke about what's in the chicken feed. Really? You always sure? I mean you know they would all you'd always hear people. There was always it's like kind of a parallel thing of like they you got the streamlined efficient chicken houses. But you'd always hear people talk about how fast they grow. Right. Like they'd brag about it, but at the same time, then they'd brag, but then they'd be like, yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? You know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That is weird to have a chick grow into a chicken in 28 days. I mean, yeah. that's highly, highly efficient, but also bizarre. Yeah. But yeah, it worked out well for me because the, um, I was able to use that stuff. And so like a normal day would be like you wake up, I really look back on those days fondly. At the time, it seemed like such a whirlwind, but you would wake up. It was very intensive. So you'd, you'd wake up, do the brooders. You know, I, there was a running joke of like, uh, we had Hugh Atchison come down there one time and like, I would never build doors on brooders. Like Celebrity I, chef, Hugh Atchison. That's right. I would never build doors. Shout out Hugh. He's a, he's a good guy. And like, I would never build doors on these brooders. They were like these long hoop houses. Right. And I would, instead of building a door, which I'm fully capable, fully capable of building a good door. I was like, there's not enough time to build doors. We're just going to have a piece of OSB that is screwed in and we'll leave a drill out here. And when you need to go in, you just unscrew this top piece and you just climb in. And so there's actually a video when Hugh was there of me showing, 
he's like, well, there's no door. And I'm like, yeah, I don't believe in doors. And, and then I, I got, I climb into this brooder, like a lamer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy that ended up working for me just dies. He he still will will screw with me about, yeah, well, you better not because he's gone back to now he's like graduated college and, but he's like, you know, text him like something like, hey, I, I built an outhouse at the farm here in Camden. And because uh, I, w- I really wanted to be able to use an outhouse, plus I have a camper out there, but I don't want to be cleaning out gray water and, and flushing out the camper bathroom. You know, I figure it's just easier because you're not going to be crapping in an outhouse that often. It's just easier to just have an outhouse. And so I have all this old like lumber and stuff. And so I built this sweet outhouse and I texted him a picture of it and he's like, well okay it looks awesome but what the hell is that on the front of that thing oh yeah and i was like what are you talking about he's like is that a fucking door you have sold out you put a door on that and i was like i guess i have but anyways (laughs) um yeah well i want to go back real quick so right so when you go because i think it's so unique and we um but when you go to the processor and then Uh you you're, what you're doing is you're creating all these birds that morning. You're getting up early yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. the dark and you're catching right. birds and putting them in crates. And then you're driving three hours. And yeah. then, so what do you do? Do you wait there and then you pick up your birds with their process and then you'd hand deliver them to all the restaurants? Does no, Inland do that? How do, yeah, how do you Inland do would this? do that. I would, I would normally just stay up. Um, it's hard to go to sleep knowing you got to wake up at midnight, you know, or something. And yeah. so I'd always have a hard time going to sleep. I would try to go to sleep and then I'd get up go outside say from like midnight to like four in the morning. Cause you, you got all these birds, but they're all like, you got a picture. They're all in these enclosures of this, this mesh kind of electric fence. So they're all organized by their age. And in one enclosure, you know, you'll have like seven or it was a ton, like six to 800 say. And you, you line up all these crates and you could put 10 chickens in a crate. So you're talking 60 crates or 70 there's these plastic crates and um i would have my trailer and i would line up all my crates out there and then basically it would be alone i would just start catching them you know just have a headlamp and be picking them up by the legs and catching five or six at a time putting them in the crates get all the crates filled up then load the crates onto the trailer and then strap it all down and then hit the road to try to get to the processor by the time they opened which would be at like 7 45 Otherwise they'd be texting me or calling me like we're waiting on you to get here. And, um, it just wasn't, you know, then basically I would stay there and, and normally I would stay and sleep in the truck and then I would, I would leave and then inland would pick the birds up. Like they wouldn't pick them up at that processor, but that processor had another facility in Sumter Mm -hmm. and an inland truck would go and pick the birds up. Once they were chilled and everything, they would pick them up in Sumter and then distribute them. And that's how it was supposed to work. And you would just sleep because you're tired. You just need to recover. Uh, just you dead, were, just okay. dead, you know. And, you know, at the same time, you're dealing with, like, the inland purchasing department and different facets of inland. You're dealing with, like, a corporate business asking you, okay, well, how many did you take? How many can we expect next week? You know, normal questions, I guess, but at the time, you're trying to figure it all out at the same time. And it was, it was sort of overwhelming because it was like, sometimes it was difficult to get a read on how many, see like at the processor, the re I think the reason you have chicken breast now is such a common food item. I'm, I'm pretty convinced 
is that when they started, when people started mass producing chickens and processing them, you're going to have a certain percentage that are going to, the skin is going to tear when it goes into a machine to get plucked. Hmm. Like it goes into a hot bath and that loosens the feathers. It melts the cartilage. And then it goes into this like washing machine looking thing called a plucker. And that plucks the feathers, but you're always going to have a certain percentage that the carcass is going to get uh, dinged up in the pluckers. The skin's going to get torn or whatever. And then those birds are going to get flagged by the, by the inspector when he's watching, um, they're going to get flagged and have to get cut up. And that, I think that's where you get your boneless breast because you got to do something with that. You got to cut it up. Mm-hmm. And that was the challenging part with inland was like, well, I don't know. I just dropped off 600, but how many are you going to get? I, I don't know. 500. I don't know. Yeah. 450, yeah. something like that. Would you get the hundred that had to be cut into like, yeah. Cut and up? That, huh? So then that compounds your problem. So then, you got to pay more to cut them up. So you're looking at a base price of like, I was paying $3 and 80 cents to kill a, kill a chicken and have it bagged up on a whole carcass. And that's what you wanted. And then when you're looking at it as a newbie on paper, that's what you're calculating into your cost, you know, but then, okay. Okay. Well, you brought 600. Well, a hundred got damaged or this one had a, um, They'll, they'll get like chickens will get like on their skin, they'll get little like a lesion, you know, and when it has a lesion, it has to get cut up too. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, well, now you got a hundred that actually had to get cut up. So the cost to have them cut up was actually, you know, $4 and 75 cents or whatever. So it's not three eighty anymore. Now it's a dollar more. Well, that's five, you know, it's like 150 or a hundred. So that's a hundred bucks more, but not only that, but now, okay, you got all this frozen packed up, like, cut up chicken that you got to go try to sell and you're going to have to set nobody buys drumsticks you know everybody wants a breast and so you then you end up having to sell that breast for like astronomical you yeah know, because of how much it's cost so it's like it compounds and it becomes a complex thing like i like i said i think now i could approach it and be and be pretty good at it but then admittedly I would get overwhelmed with that. So I would try to sell at the Savannah farmer's market and that was good, but you still are rotating this inventory. It, you really, you, it turns from what you think it's going to be as a farm and you're producing this item and you're taking it to the restaurant and the chef is coming out and looking at it and he's buying it all up and that's what it is, you know, but what it really becomes is you're producing this item. Now you're taking it to a third party processor now it's getting, this is happening to this, but this is happening to that, blah, blah, blah. Now Inland's picking them up. Now Inland's bitching about this. And now the, the restaurant is bitching about this because the sales rep didn't tell, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just becomes like a machine. You know? Yeah. And, and it, it becomes yeah. like unwinnable. It just, at that moment in time, it went from super exciting to super exhausting. And you're just not to mention you're supposed to go out on sales calls with them to help sell your product, you know? So so you're doing stuff with them and also you do it individually, like with it, your stuff that's not being marketed through them or just also to keep up relationships. No, the problem, if if I was such a newbie, I really believed in that inland relationship, like a hundred percent. And I would tell people when they called me wanting to buy from me, like people will call and say, well, I don't like inland or, you know, because people always had, Inland, I like Joel. I mean, but the, the reality is, is that people would have weird stories about Inland. And 
they they would come to me and like, well, we want to buy directly from you. And I'd say, no, I can't. I'm not going to sell it directly to you. I want you to buy it from Inland. If you really want to help what I'm trying to do, you will buy it from Inland because that is the best. And it's still, it was, it, you know, it, it, it always would be the gold standard to, to be producing food on a local level is taking the delivery out of it. Right. The, the thing about for farmers, the cost is the marketing. That's the highest cost generally. And that's why the, the conventional agriculture also has its place or people it's, it's attractive. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about that. You're not stuck then with a final product. And then you're having to drive to all these restaurants yeah. and sell them like a hawk, you know, all right, hey, how about, yeah. Where are you, you going? Right. Are you rotating it out? You right. know, um, what are you going to do when, and, and not to mention most restaurants want to buy fresh chicken. If they're paying for a premium chicken, you're going to find, you'll find some, some that will, I think that it's like any business. Once they know you and they believe in what you're doing, they're going to, they're going to like work with you on how the product is, you know, but, but definitely in those days you would tow because you're throwing a bunch of it up against the wall through inland. There's tons of guys that, would text me and oh well inland inland sent them in frozen you know mm, we don't want yeah. to take them frozen and he's like God, come on hey what do you want me to do like go to the inland warehouse and uh show them how to like it's like turn, I, turn the air up dude <laughs> i'm sure that they they're rotating product you know and they yeah. have to like and it, yeah it's just uh it really turned into it, it, by the end of it, it was inland purchasing, texting me, telling me to, to ramp down, to scale down. And at the same time, other management telling me to scale up, you know, and it became it became a very maddening situation by the end. Yeah. But that's after, you know, that's after a few years of doing it. It, it really would. It, it, it probably if I knew what I knew now, I probably would have gone smoother. Um, but it just happened the way that it happened. It. Um, you know, and you got to remember you were battling Springer Mountain at that. That's when Springer yeah. Mountain chicken first became popular. And yeah, that really was a death knell for pasture poultry as a whole was a proliferation of Springer Mountain because you just couldn't compete with that, with that. Yeah. Marketing. And I think, yeah, and, and Springer Mountain, like we will talk about in the future because it's really important. But I, I, I so if people understand. So when you start in 2012, we talked about those 10 to 20 small scale mm-hmm. That's right. poultry producers. By this time, by, by 2014, even 2013, 2014, it's being, it's narrowed down to there's three primary pasture poultry producers in Georgia. And it's you, Darby Farms, it's Daniel Dover and Wider Pastures. But all mm-hmm. these smaller players have really fallen out. There's maybe one or two people, but no one's really doing any kind of commercial scale like no. y'all. Y- y'all are the biggest hope for pasture poultry like surviving or sustaining in the state. Yeah. And you would have to be like looking back on those days. It's like, I mean, I was tailor made to do something like that because I, I do love like a challenge, you know, but it's no, it's no, you know, I'm not like, it, it doesn't mean anything. I'm not like bragging or something, but like there's a hell of a lot of people that would do that and they would get six months or a year into dealing with all the, just the, the birds alone, you know, and you would, you would stop. You'd say, I, well, we, you can't go on vacation. You can't blah, blah, blah. You can't do da, 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 da. Cause you know, and it, 
Yeah, man, it was crazy how it, it sort of, you, you know, remember we said that pasture poultry week and there was like two years that that was like yeah. kind of a big deal. You know, yeah. I mean, there was a couple of years where that was a legitimately like big deal. I don't know where we went wrong as a movement. I think because I'm myself, Daniel Dover and White Oak Pastures, rather than ever trying to work together, we were always in opposition to each other. We, we looked at each other as the threat. And the reality was none of us were the threat to each other. The threat was the mindset and the fact that like a company like Springer Mountain could blossom and flower and, and do as well as they did or do with like sheer marketing yeah. of conventional chickens. Did the fact that a person is unaware that they can go to the grocery store and they're going to pay a premium for this chicken that is the exact same as the chicken being marketed next to it as quote, a common man's chicken. Yeah. And Springer Mountain, the Springer Mountain's a pretty, it's a conventional raised chicken. Although what is it? They don't have antibiotics. That's the difference. And they were early to, to push that and early, really the marketing was really great. And Springer Mountain for y'all to, I mean, Springer Mountain, I guess it's where the Appalachian trail starts too. Yeah. And so well, they're big, just, big up in like Habersham County and up in there. Mm. They're um, an imprint of Fielddale Farms. And so Field, Fielddale we grew, Farms. We grew with yeah. for Fielddale. Um, and if you, I mean, if you see a Springer Mountain farm, it looks like a traditional farm. It's, a, it's their chickens being raised in the house. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and they're, I mean, it was broken down to me, you know, by uh, people that know who were carrying my chicken. They were the ones that told me the whole story. I mean, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Okay. Well. You know, like basically it's like you got chickens being raised in a chicken house and and some of them can be labeled privately and sold as this, but others will be labeled and sold as this, but they're all the same. Yeah, man, we, we, we're going to come back and do this, uh, Springer Mountain, because, because we can also talk about all the, the crazy labels that have been developed around protein. Um, yeah, for sure. But if you, if you Google Spring, Springer Mountain, chicken it starts the first thing that comes up from humane heartland which i don't know what that is mm-hmm. it's springer mountain farms feeds its chickens a pesticide free vegetarian diet without the use of antibiotics steroids growth stimulants or hormones mm-hmm. which is one of the ma- two major factors that loyal customers attribute to the delicious taste of the chicken i don't they're missing a two there um <laughs> so the corn i guess is not in the soybeans are not spread ah, that sounds awfully uh, yeah. suspect um or does it mean that just the feed itself is not spread? I, that's what, I think that's what it means. I mean, like, there's so much. I think there's so many loopholes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, and... but you know, that, that, that was a big problem because Inland carries a lot of Springer Mountain. Yeah. And so you'd have the same sales reps. There was some of those sales reps that really kind of got behind me and, and sort of tried to take me under their wing as best they could. Uh, but there, I, felt, I always felt like there was – more of them that just weren't ever going to even bring up that they carried this chicken because it was so much easier. It was just like, why would I bring up this pasture raised inconsistent? Yeah, it's tasty, but it's expensive and it's not, it's not Springer Mountain. It's not super consistent. Um, All the reasons that made it special sort of became like liabilities to some of them. And I felt like there, some of them would never bring it up. And it would just, it just sort of fell through the cracks, you know? And then Springer's like flying chefs to New York, right? And like giving them all sorts of incentives to use 
you're competing legitimately competing with a multi-million dollar corporation and you are a single person on 30 acres. Yes. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah. I mean, the death knell for me with the chicken was I was at a function at a restaurant in Atlanta, like a party that I had donated a pig for, or they bought a pig and they cooked it. And it was like, well, we're going to do like a meet the farmer thing. Why don't you come up and hang out? So I did. And, um, a woman, it was in Buckhead and a woman came up to me and was like, and I'd literally, I quote her. She said, I just love what small farms like you and Springer mountain farms are doing. And I, and I looked at her and I said, thank you. That's great. I appreciate that. (laughs) And I was thinking in the back of my mind, you are finished as far as this, there's no, you cannot compete with that. Right. It's like, you just compared a man to a multi-million dollar company because of marketing and like the, 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 what the end, the food industry itself will, it's like the recording industry. You'll go into it as a wide eyed optimist and you'll, you'll sort of become callous and you'll, you'll come to realize that like the thing that matters it, it, yeah, it matters like to me what I'm doing or, or like what other people do, you know, but at the end of the day, like, you're going to fight against things that you don't anticipate like that. You know, it's like sometimes in America, the, the, the way things are sold, it's not about really what it is. It's just about the story. What kind of story, you know, we're all busy. Yeah. Yeah. Is it good for me? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I feel good eating Springer Mountain chicken. Yeah. And that's it. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's the only thing that matters. Like I feel okay eating it somehow. And it, it like taps into that, mental part of people that maybe they think i don't know about this grocery store chicken i wish i could feel good about what i was eating and they just tap into that they know that everybody has this image in their mind of this farm with this chicken running around outside they know that it's a we almost are born with that image the the red barn the chicken running around outside people still call chickens yard birds Mm-hmm. I, I saw a chicken on Instagram last night from a restaurant indicator that they barbecued and they called it. God, what did they call it? A, not a yard bird, yard strutter, <laughs> barbecued yard strutter. And you're thinking that chicken's never set foot in a yard. A chicken has never been outside. The chicken probably only saw the sunshine on the day that he died. And that's like the thing. It's like, are they wrong for serving and buying that chicken? No, they got to make money too. And we're all part of the machine. Yeah. But that is what you fight against the perception versus the reality. All right. Well, Brandon, it is it, uh, considering where we are time wise. Um, yeah. maybe we should, I, I think we should do one more part of this. We're going to um, have to, man. Yeah. Golly. That's all right. They're I feel right. so long winded. No, no. I, I think this is actually really good. And, and I, I think that this is more complicated to talk about the distribution part. Um, but we'll, we'll, the next um, part will be the last part, but maybe not. Um, we'll, we'll cover your transition from Reedsville to the coast. Um, and I just want to remind folks, too, like we, we, we'll try to talk a little bit about labels. But if you ever see something, chickens are not allowed to have growth hormones conventionally. That you just, it's illegal to have a growth hormone. So if you see no growth hormones on the package, like that is not an added benefit to your chicken in the, in the grocery store. That's right. Yeah, I always told people back in those days, like, 
the only chicken that you're really – I mean, yeah, the antibiotic thing. And, and sure, Springer Mountain was a forerunner on the antibiotic thing. Now that no antibiotics is, is pretty common. Yeah, Purdue is totally no antibiotic. I yeah, I mean, you, you, the whole industry was moving that way anyways. And that's what I mean when I'm saying you could pay a premium for Springer Mountain chicken or just buy the chicken next to it in the aisle and pay less because you're getting the same thing. Yeah. Um, that's what I mean when, I, when I'm talking about that. But, like, back in those days, I would tell people, I mean, if you really want a different chicken, you have to seek out a chicken that says pasture. Either either you're buying it from somebody that you trust and they're telling you this is my chicken and, and it was pasture raised, or it says that on the package. And that's other, – otherwise, you're just you're just in the middle of the chicken business. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and chickens, like we, as we talked earlier, they can – they're produced so cheaply. We've gotten so good at making chicken. I mean, we can, I think there's some broader conversation to talk about how maybe the, you know, U S like our economy works so well, it's because we can ha- create protein so cheaply. Um, well, yeah, for sure. We should definitely have that conversation. And I mean, you could, from an ethical standpoint, you could talk about, is it always ethical to have them outside? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not, it wasn't a perfect, it wasn't, I don't, you know, I hate to like think that, was it a perfect, thing you know like no but did it like really produce a chicken that was really it was good enough that i'll still get some people that bring it up even to this day you know like god i miss those chickens you're like yeah i do too they were good yeah you yeah you miss them too you can hear um yeah i mean plus man i mean it's i'm the people still call me they still call me Birdman. <laughs> you know i mean i am what i am i got lucky doing what I'm doing and getting like a tiny bit of um, people that started to notice what I was doing. And that was all, and we could probably, maybe we could go back and just touch on some of the, you know, cause that was all like a lot of luck and a lot of, you know, you just, you've worked hard and you just get lucky. Somebody notices or whatever, but I owe an awful lot to the chicken. You know, I wouldn't be what I am if it was, if, if I had, I gone into anything else in the beginning, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I owe a lot to the chicken and I, I don't feel like that story is totally written yet. It's not, it's not done where we may be halfway through that story, but, but it ain't done yet. 